Hello, hello. My name is Rick, the founder of Real People USA, uh, based in California. And uh, it's 2020, everybody. And uh, for 2020, we have the same format that we had in 2020. Let <laughs> me start over again. Hey, this is uh, Rick, the founder of Real People USA, based in California. And in 2021, we will have an identical format as we had in 2020, but we will have a lot of guests with different perspectives on the topics that, that they want to talk about. For instance, we may have topics where one side uh, that may have a political uh, angle on something may disagree with another side that has a different political angle and vice versa. So the point is that we want to make sure that when if someone comes on the show as our guest, they are definitely our guests and they are free to express themselves. Now, we will ask some questions. So if, they, if someone puts out some information on the Real People USA show, we will ask them some questions to for them to validate what their thoughts are based on what they want to talk about. But today we have Colleen Huber and uh, she is our guest today on the Real People USA and she has brought some exciting factual data driven information about COVID-19. So without further delay, I would like to introduce to the Real People USA uh, podcast, uh, Dr. Colleen Huber. Good afternoon, Dr. Huber. How are you doing? Fine, thank you, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here again with you. Yes, and you are a return guest. So if you don't mind, please give our listeners a little of your, of your history and your bio. Certainly. I'm a naturopathic medical doctor. Many people have never even heard uh, what that is, and they wonder, well, what is that? Is it a kind of medical doctor? The, uh, actually, it's a separate uh, set of medical schools, a separate degree. Uh, we're uh, required as naturopathic physicians. We're licensed physicians in 20 states in the United States, and uh, we are required to take uh, twice as many courses, twice as many classroom hours as the medical doctors in medical school. Well, the reason is that we're licensed to do their medicine as well as what we consider ours, that is, or natural medicine. Uh, medicine that's based in nutrition, botanical medicine. There's uh, so much to it, uh, acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. Um, in addition to, uh, you know, what we do uh, that's part of conventional medicine, which is um, labs, uh, imaging, physical exams, um, you know, prescription pharmaceuticals when necessary. Um, Okay, so that's basically what it is to be a naturopathic physician in a nutshell. I've been doing this 14 years. My, my practice focuses on cancer patients, actually, for those 14 years. However, in 2020, my attention was really riveted toward what on earth is going on uh, with COVID-19. And I focused a lot of my research on the last year on masks and, uh, and mask hazards. I think our research team has uh, come up with the most comprehensive research on all of the ways in which masks harm the body. Uh, we've cited over 200 uh, studies in our in our own research, and that's peer-reviewed. And now, today, I have a different article that I guess we're going to discuss. All right. Well, thanks for that bio, Colleen. And for our listeners, I just want to let you know. You know, I you know when people come on the on the Real People USA show, they typically submit something they want to talk about, and I go through it. And I and I tell you what, uh, Dr. Huber. What you submitted to me is just so factual and it's data driven. 
So the title of your of your article, if the title of it is data that disprove the COVID-19 pandemic and you authored it and another co-author Boris Borovoy, he uh, co-authored it, co-authored the article with you. So I have a few questions to ask you as uh, I go through the article. And the article is about 14 pages, but I tell you what, I read the entire article. So here's my, my first question that I have. When you talked about in your abstract section, you talked about, you said, an obstacle to answering the question is that COVID-19 testing is flawed and imprecise. So please talk about how the common cold, the flu, and the, and the pneumonia seems like they, they all wrapped, they were all, that was all wrapped around COVID-19. Oh, yes. In fact, uh, so much changed in 2020, so very much. One, uh, the inventor of the test, uh, the PCR test, reverse transcriptase, polymerase chain reaction, he actually passed away in August of 2019, and he's no longer around to comment. But when he was alive, he said, do not use this as a test for infectious disease. It does not work that way. He warned us not to use it that way, and the people who know this test well know that he was right to make that warning. Um, that was Dr. Carrie Mullis. Uh, and what he said was that if you run this test for 35 or 40 cycles, that is, or repetitions on a particular patient sample, anybody will, you can find anything in anybody. You know, anybody can test positive for whatever you're looking for, because that's too many times to run it to even find anything. I mean, the, he didn't invent it for that purpose. He invented it as a manufacturing technique. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was a biotech uh, development and innovation and good on him for figuring it out. But the way it's being misused is something that he warned about in his lifetime. And, and so anyway, long story short, is all around the world and particularly in the U.S., the cycles being used are way above uh, 35 and well into the 40s. Um, in fact, uh, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, took an interest and actually did some homework on this RT-PCR test. And what he said was, no, that's uh, not right. It's going to lead to all these false positives that we're seeing. So in Florida, the laboratories are required to report how many cycles they're using. Not so in the rest of the United States. And that's how you got such crazy high numbers. So it's estimated that between 80% and 97% of these results are false positive, of the positive results are false positive. So that is really um, so deceptive because that is how the CDC got all these massive numbers of people who died, quote, with COVID as opposed to, quote, uh, from COVID, you know? Gotcha. I mean, because- hey, I, got a, I got a quick mm -hmm. question for you. Would you mind spending some time about what it means? Because I, I read some information in your article about the PCR tests. And I also heard about this subject about three to four months ago. Can you spend some time talking about what is the acceptable number of tests to run to determine if a person has uh, a certain or, the, or like the COVID-19 disease? And then contrast that with what was done to come up with all these COVID positive test cases. Yeah, exactly. Like with 35 to 40. So what is the what is the industry standard when someone well, is testing for something? 
Yeah, and and there is really no industry standard because it's it's still not supposed to be used as a test for infectious disease. However, there are many scientists around the world who are kind of sort of agreeing that a number of cycles, uh, somewhere around 17 to 20, is not necessarily what's ideal. But there is an inverse relationship between the number of cycles that you run on this test and the likelihood that any of those are active viral particles that could actually infect a person. So, in other words, if you're running at only 20 cycles, the people who you are finding to be positive are uh, probably pretty much more likely to have um, a considerable viral load. And, and, you know, we need a viral load such that uh, in order to be infectious or be contagious to another person. Um, so maybe maybe down around 17 or 20, you're going to, if you run it for that number of cycles, the people who test positive, those people, okay, you could say perhaps have a viral load that's uh, adequate. However, it, see, here's the biggest, the biggest problem. Cases have always been defined by the clinician. We physicians, we look at the symptoms, we look at the signs, we say, okay, this is the case. All right. And so that is really key. And it's key to any kind of infectious viral illness. This myth of asymptomatic transmission that a person can feel totally fine and walk around and give uh, COVID to other people is absolute nonsense. We know this from immunology. All the top immunologists in the world have been pointing this out for their force pretty much uh, for all of 2020. They've been saying, you know, there is no such thing as asymptomatic transmission. Uh, immunologist uh, Betta Stadler calls it the crowning of stupidity to say that there's asymptomatic transmission. So you have a person who, and here's why, because it takes a certain significant viral load to produce, um, you know, fever and other symptoms in a person. Once they have that threshold of, of, of viral particles in them, yes, then their breath can expel that and they can uh, transmit to another person. That's because, and you know that from their feeling uh, or acting or um, appearing to be ill. So in other gotcha. words, uh, cases should never have been, the definition of cases should never have been taken out of clinical context and put in the hands of uh, this machine. Wow, see, when I heard that number of 35 to 40, just for our listeners, uh, you know, uh, feed, or just for our listeners to understand, a lot of these cases that I know California is reporting and probably a lot of other states, and thank goodness for, for, for Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, when Florida's my home state, by the way, so, hey, I'm happy about oh, that. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Happy, I'm, I'm so happy that he, that he had the intellect and the common sense to say, if you test something 35 to 40 or 40 plus times, you will find whatever you're looking for. And that's, yes. they were finding COVID-19 on, on toys and on, on, on yes. cans of soda. <laughs> and uh, so that kind of proved that. So thanks for that, that feedback and that more in-depth uh, information about these PCR tests. Here's my next question. Well, I think the president, I think the president of Tanzania, uh, Dr. Magufuli, uh, he pointed it out first to the world. He he tested a goat, a papaya, and uh, something else I forgot. Anyway, uh, yeah, and they all came back positive. And he was because he's a PhD in chemistry. He understood uh, what was going on with the uh, PCR test. So we, I think he was the first to really point it out. You're right. You're right. I did see that article. So here's my next question. Um, in the background section of page one, you talked about 
COVID-19 is assumed to be caused by a coronavirus that is said to be novel, SARS-CoV-2. And you, you basically are talking about that SARS is a misnomer because it could be just about anything. So they, they, it seems like they, they, they use the word SARS and they linked it to COVID-19. Please explain, please explain how, in my opinion, deceptive this, this SARS and COVID-19 combination uh, is. Oh, yes. Okay, let's look, at the, let's look at that acronym. SARS stands for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. And if it's okay, and may I segue into what I feel is the strongest part of the paper? Mm -hmm. And yes, uh, yeah, if I may. So severe acute respiratory syndrome, we've been told that there is a pandemic of this in the United States and throughout the world throughout much of 2020. Okay, so that implies that people are in respiratory distress and that they have a, a severe acute respiratory syndrome, the SARS, uh, more so than in other years. Okay, if that is the case, my question is why? Did medical oxygen sales go down from 2019 to 2020? And, and how do we know they went down? Wall Street, earnings reports. I went and looked at the earnings reports. I went and looked at the sales of the largest medical oxygen suppliers and distributors uh, in the United States. Now, in that order, that would be Air Products, Air Liquid, and uh, Lind, L-I-N-D-E. Okay, uh, their sales went down by three to six percent over that time. So uh, the total sales for medical oxygen in 2019 were $64 billion. But the mm. sales in 2020 were only $61 billion. Now, how does that happen if you have a pandemic of a respiratory virus? Wow. So something did not add up. And for me, that was the big boom that said, whoa, okay, uh, something does not sound right. Wow. And, and on page two, you talked about the incentive for misstated uh, U.S. mortality data in the is the financial influence oh, yeah. created by the U.S. CARES Act. So explain what uh, the incentive was for the hospitals to just label or classify everyone as a COVID patient or being tested yep. positive or being admitted as a COVID patient. What, what was that incentive and the dollars? Oh, yeah. Well, $175 billion have been set aside for this whole COVID extravaganza, uh, mostly directed to hospitals. Now, for example, through Medicare, uh, Medicare would only pay $5,000 for a flu or pneumonia patient. However, for a COVID patient, $13,000. And then if you put them on a ventilator, $39,000. Okay, now when hospitals are being told, well, you're not supposed to be seeing your heart disease patients right now, uh, don't see the cancer patients right now. We're going to put that on hold. But here's the incentive for, you know, this, these COVID patients and to treat them with ventilators. Now you have created a COVID uh, health crisis scenario. So, so there are records of hospitals, um, some of the big name hospitals, getting in the hundreds of millions of dollars of these, COVID, of these U.S. CARES Act grants. And now I think that was um, a bad incentive, you know, it, it, it incentivized hospitals. And then the CDC and the NIH came out and said, oh, well, when in doubt, uh, you doctors should call it COVID. You know, mm. code for COVID presumptively, the instructions said. 
And so they have been uh, ever since. There's too much money in COVID. And that's why this, um, you know, the corruption happened. Wow. And I, and, I, and I do recall, and I know for myself, when I had like a slight cold or I had a sore throat, you know, there were people telling me, and of course, in the, in the big mainstream media, they were uh, recommending that everyone get tested. And then on your page, and one, one other page of your article, you said that these politicians were beating the drum, telling people, get tested, get tested, get tested, because it seems like they knew because of this PCR, uh, you know, thing where, you know, 35 to 40 or 40 plus um, tests were done to find something that probably probably didn't exist. Do, so do you think, in other words, do you think this get tested campaign by these politicians, do you think they knew that the, the PCR test thing was 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 overblown? Oh, uh, yes, I think so. And it turns out some of them uh, were apparently invested in it and uh, sit on the boards of the, the testing companies. So I can't speculate too much beyond that because, you know, not having uh, been a fly on the wall in the room of their closed door uh, meetings where all this money apparently must have changed hands. But, you know, that corruption did not reach as far as either Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida or Governor Kristi Noem of South Dakota and or Sweden. So um, or Belarus or, you know, the entire continent of Africa and frankly, much of the Pacific Rim of the East Asian countries. Uh, but mm -hmm. that's for a different reason, I believe. And that is uh, hydroxychloroquine is uh, much more plentiful in Africa because it's of its great effects against malaria. And then uh, that has been the uh, hands down the most effective thing against COVID, as Dr. Solenko taught us. But in in the East and in Asia, uh, apparently from SARS-1, that had uh, hit there uh, quite a bit harder than in the West. So they had some herd immunity that was still 17 years later able to fight against COVID pretty well. So they didn't have such a devastating uh, experience. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Sorry, I went kind of far away from your question. But anyway, um, yeah, in the West, then uh, you get, uh, you know, the Swedish government, uh, Christy Noem, governor of South Dakota, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, and they apparently did not take any of the bribes. In fact, oh, the um, government of Belarus uh, was offered $940 million by, I believe it was the World Bank, to lock down their economy and basically kill their economy and lock down their people. Well, Belarus said, ah, no thanks. So they exposed the bribe and, uh, you know, they rejected the offer of it. You know, I read that article. I read that about Belarus. And, you know, as, as the smoke is starting to clear on this, on this COVID-19 thing, there are clear uh, people who said, you know what, the money is good. And, you know, unfortunately, it, it seems to me, and I could be wrong, I could be wrong, doctor, but it seems to me that there were some people that were not unhappy about their about their economies falling for some reason. I can't imagine why why a governor would be happy about his or her economy falling, but it seems to be that was part of the plan. Yes. Uh, by the way, uh, did you see where the World Health Organization one hour after Joe Biden's inauguration? One hour later, they said, oh, you don't have to run that PCR test at such high cycles. Uh, you can run them at lower cycles now.
Wow. Uh, let's just hand Joe Biden that uh, victory over COVID. I mean, because that basically is the victory. You run the you run the test at 60 cycles, for example, everybody tests positive. You run it at 20 cycles, pretty much everybody's going to test negative. Okay, so you run it at 40, you can keep the shell game going and keep most of the people fooled most of the time, but not all of the people fooled all of the time. Anyway, uh, but one hour after his inauguration. So anyway, that hands Joe Biden the victory over uh, over COVID, doesn't it? I mean, to the to the casual observer. Yes, and I also heard today that Washington, D.C. now is going to open their indoor dining because uh, the, the because COVID has passed its peak uh, as of yes. like two days ago. <laughs> it just passed its peak. Yeah, exactly. And CNN stopped listing the death count. What a coincidence. I mean, with this, seriously, we didn't see this coming. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, we saw it coming. Yeah. So my next question. Oh, by the way. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I would really like to mention the obituaries of Chimay. Oh, I got that question coming up. I got that question coming up, but I want to ask this question about, about this graph that was done by Genevieve Brian, and yes. it shows, like, well, you can talk about talk about the the, 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 the mortality uh, rate at the older ages with COVID and without COVID. Yes. Okay, so it appears that the average age of death of COVID is higher than the average age of all deaths in the United States. And not only in the United States, uh, I listed some data from Scotland and France where the average age of death from COVID is about 80 or 81, and the average age of, you know, lifespan is about 78 years. Okay, so then since COVID was supposedly a huge killer, and it was killing people in the upper ages, you would have expected to see the distribution of the uh, deaths of different age groups. Uh, you would have expected that to change radically, especially during the weeks when uh, the CDC reported peak COVID deaths, which was mid-April. Mid-April of mm -hmm. 2020, you know, week of April 11, week of April 18. However, there's barely a ripple. And this is what Dr. Brianne pointed out from Johns Hopkins University. Uh, by the way, just mentioning that Johns Hopkins allowed it to go up there and then, whoop, they, uh, they took it back right away. They were both the publisher and then the censor uh, very quickly. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, you can get parts of Dr. Brian's article on the Wayback Machine. It's, uh, it's archived. But anyway, uh, she looked at that a few months ago. So she stopped in September. And I took that just a little bit longer, continued her graph, but uh, to the end of the year. And... Uh, we really don't see any corresponding ripples in the age distribution that uh, corresponds to when the CDC says we're peak deaths of COVID. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, um, I think the CDC numbers are a little bit, um, shall we say, unaudited. Uh, they're unreliable, frankly, in my opinion, because the CDC just keeps shoveling extra numbers onto all previous months in 2020 say, oh, look, there were more deaths even way back in, you know, the spring than we thought, uh, excuse me. But if there were deaths in the spring that you didn't record before, how do we know you're not double counting? How do we know you're not just making it up? But here's how we know. Well, anyway, I'll wait till you get to the question. And, and I was looking at the uh, the chart, the census, the CDC census as of 12-30-2020. As a st uh, statistics person, there's almost a one-to-one -one correlation of deaths in, in 2010 and population in 2010, all the way to 2020 deaths and population. 
So it seems like yeah. you know, the, the deaths per 100,000 seem to track along the increase in population for the last 10 years. And so did the percentage, you know, the, the rate like 0.8% in 2010 yeah. and in 2020, 0.9%. That just tells me that we did not have or COVID did not cause any significant change in deaths. No, it apparently hasn't. It, it really apparently hasn't. But you know where I think you can really see that is with obituaries. Go ahead and talk about that because that was next. Please talk about that. Okay. Okay, here's the thing. Compared to the CDC where they can just announce all kinds of numbers and CNN can announce all kinds of numbers and John Slapkins also, and those are unaudited. Nobody's going back and saying, show us the receipts. Show us the name of the person you're talking about. When were they born? When did they die? Where did they live? Okay, who are the survivors? And you don't even have to get into the survivors at this point. But if you look at that, the largest obituary reporting service that I found that takes obituaries from all funeral homes in the United States is U.S. obituaries, uh, usobits.com. Anyway, um, in 2019, they had 668,000 obituaries listed. In 2020, they had 548,000 obituaries listed. Now, this is only about uh, doing 20-25% of the numbers that the CDC reports. So I think those numbers are in, for each year are fewer than the actual deaths. But they are but they are deaths with verifiable individuals. This, each person had a name, a photo there. Well. For most of them, a photo, um, a date of birth, a date of death, where do they live, etc. This was a real person. So if there's not a double counting with, you know, the obituary services. I tried to contact two other obituary services and they refused to answer my question or didn't, mm. didn't respond at all. Yeah, I tell you what, I was looking at this in California, California having, you know, about 40 million people. And you would think that the funeral home uh, businesses would be slammed right now with all the different deaths uh, that were being reported. Like in Los Angeles and, and the Bay Area, which is close to my house, you know, you would hear the, uh, the public health person come on very solemnly with the, almost like with an NPR type, you know, sad voice. And this person yeah. would say, I'm so sad to announce that there were, you know, 400, 500 deaths in Los Angeles County. And it was real solemn and real sad, Colleen. And yeah. day after day after day after day, they would report deaths of 200, 300, 600 deaths. And this was just in LA County. So you would add up all those numbers and you would think the funeral homes must be slammed. You would think that hiring must be, you know, through the roof with all the different, right. with all the additional deaths that they're having for COVID-19. But I did not see a single article, a single report of funeral home increased activity from from right. for anything for 2020. So talk yeah, about the, uh, the Wall Street part, the, the, the Wall Street. And I think you may have mentioned it before about how profitable. Well, that was it. That was about, yeah, the medical oxygen sales, the total sales of medical mm -hmm. oxygen companies. Uh, they went down from 64 billion in 2019 to 61 billion in 2020. 
And then uh, just medical supplies in general. We looked at medical supplies in general and uh, the top companies, you know, big giant companies like McKesson and others. And uh, they did they did increase their sales, but not at the same strong trajectory that they had for the five year uh, trajectory. In other words, the the increase in sales slowed a bit uh, from the last five years to the last one year. So it was. I don't know. I I think that was well within their previous history. Um, it was kind of consistent with the previous year, so it wasn't like it skyrocketed like you would expect with a pandemic. You would expect yeah, exactly. if hospitals were really busy using a lot of medical supplies. Well, it's all going to go up. IV poles, syringes, fluids. You know, um, but no, it continued pretty much the same trajectory as previously, except a little bit uh, weaker than you know over the last five years. So, in other words, there's no evidence of a pandemic there either. I mean, it's it's kind of consistent with the uh, hashtag film your hospital. Remember that? It was yes. all over Twitter. I don't know if Facebook allowed it, but anyway, um, yeah, people were showing empty hospitals emptier than I had seen. I mean, I worked in a busy New York City hospital in the 1990s, and people were streaming in and out the doors 24 hours, pretty much. I mean, it was crazy. The reception was already always overflowing, but you know this past year people do film your hospital with all these empty reception areas in the in the emergency rooms. Yeah, I have a cousin that lives out in Queens, and this is when Elmhurst Hospital was 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 in that film film my hospital episode, oh, and yes, they had uh, paid actors. Yeah, they, yeah, they had paid actors in line, you know, posing as people that were infected with COVID. And they exposed it, and, and it was it was clearly, clearly an acting job. And the same thing happened in Los oh. Angeles. So uh, as we wrap up, what is your conclusion? If you had to, you know, <laughs> looking at what we saw in 2020, and now that we have uh, 46 in charge, <laughs> 46 is in charge now. What is your conclusion about the whole COVID-19 episode? Well. Oh, well, okay. Here's my conclusion. Can I just conclude with an anecdote? Oh, sure. It's a true story. Okay, okay. So, uh, you know, I was just, you know, going along, living my life. Everything was normal, normal. And then one day, uh, this was about a year ago now, sometime January, February. I walk into a Trader Joe's, and wow, it looks different. I get up to the cashier, and I say, "Wow, your shelves are like really bare." He says something I will never forget. He says, "Well, corporate hasn't released products." I, my jaw dropped because I had always lived in this free market United States where demand was just fluid and supply was fluid, and then it went up and down together. Free market economy, and that suddenly that was the most Soviet word I had ever heard. The products haven't been released by corporate. It's like, and and then right about that time, you know, the journalist uh, created the toilet paper shortage because they said, "Oh my God, there's a shortage of toilet paper." Well, what does everybody do? They go out and grab it. Okay, now there's more of a shortage. You know, it's all fulfilling prophecy. So I, I just want to say that it, the thing smelled a little bit off from a year ago, and by the end of March, I was like saying, "Wait, this thing is ridiculous." You know. Anyway. That was my well, wake-up no, call. Me, that was my red took, pill it, moment. It took me one hour to be convinced that this was like um, a borderline hoax, because if 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 the COVID nineteen 
was officially identified as a, as a problem in the second or third week of March. And based on what people are saying that it started in November or December of 2019, then, it, then most people should be dead. The hospitals should be overflowing because there was no official start date for COVID. COVID didn't wait around and say, okay, I guess I can wreak havoc, havoc on America and the world during the third week of March. Let's go get them. <laughs> yes. Yes, so I was exactly. Very I mean, the beginning. yeah. Well, Neil Ferguson of England, he uh, he really had quite a talent for getting the world to follow his um, dire predictions. And of course, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci has been rehearsing uh, for this, you know, chicken little role for decades. I mean, do you remember Dr. Anthony Fauci being interviewed every single uh, year? saying, oh, this year's flu is going to be especially bad. You really better get your flu shot this time. Uh, you know, and then people will be yawning about that. It's like, yeah, yeah, Dr. Couch, you say the same thing every year. Okay, this year he has something new and fun to, you know, turn into this hysteria thing. Well, I know I saw a video with uh, Fauci in 2017 predicting that there would be a, uh, an outbreak of of a coronavirus in in 2020 this was 2017 yeah. and his and his best pal bill gates has been working has been i call it plotting plotting this thing for the last you know five to ten years so you know what the whole thing to me it it, 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 it stinks to high heaven and it's unfortunate that america and the rest of the world had to be played victim uh to this to this conspiracy i just think it's so sad but I think now people understand it. And I think they understood it when they voted on November 3rd. <laughs> yeah. They understood it. Yes, I think so. I think a lot of eyes have been opened. If anything good can come of this, I think if they try to pull this nonsense again in any year in the near future, people say, oh, no, you don't. No, we're not going through this nonsense again. Exactly. I hope people will be smart enough to say that. But if people glue their eyes to the TV that tells them, oh my gosh, there was another death. There was another death. Click, click, click. You know, we're ticking off the death. And, you know, then they're just going to fall for the whole nonsense over again. Right, right. Well, I'll tell you what. Do you want to leave your contact information um, about your, your work and, and your clinic? Certainly. Um, this is Dr. Colleen Huber. I'm a naturopathic medical doctor in Arizona. Uh, the um, writing that I've done on the COVID-19 era, and particularly about the hazards of masks, are on Primary Doctor Medical Journal. That is pdmj.org. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks for being a guest again, uh, Dr. Colleen Huber of Tempe, Arizona, and uh, you have a great weekend. Thank you, Rick. Thank you very much. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.